Cool, let's just do it one more time. Why? Because we love making movies! Hey everybody, I'm Aaron Bolo, and welcome to my podcast, Because We Love Making Movies. Today we're talking to a costume designer who's worked in film and TV, but she's best known for her work on the home box office channel, better known as HBO. She designed the dystopian nightmare of Fahrenheit 451, for which she received her first Emmy nomination, Damon Lindelof's remix of The Watchmen, and most recently, the critical and cultural juggernaut Mayor of Easttown, for which she received her second Emmy nomination. So without further ado, the unofficial mascot of Wawa, Megan Kasperlick. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yes, I am the unofficial mascot. <laughs> um, uh, interview changed it all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you for doing this. Um, I, I guess I wanted to start with uh, what do you think are some of the biggest misconceptions about costume designers, both inside and outside the industry? I think outside the industry, especially when you go, like when people go home to visit relatives, they're like, it's so glamorous. You're just having so much fun all the time. And today I went to work at what I refer to as a normal time of about seven o'clock, which is sometimes luxurious. Sometimes I have a 2 a.m. call call time or a 4 a.m. call time, but I went to work luxury 7 a.m., and um, I just am getting back, but I will still be answering calls because we're running a second unit. So I kind of, and that shoots overnight. So I'll be answering calls and questions and stuff until probably like midnight. And then I'll get up and do it all over again. So, <laughs> um, but inside the industry, I think that it's come leaps and bounds from when I first started, but definitely I think there's a lot more respect to um, costume design. Mm-hmm. And I think people are understanding that not only the connection do that the costume designers have with the actors and, you know, sometimes the first time an actor comes in is the first time they know anything about the script. And the first time they usually come in is for a fitting. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of finding you um, costume designers have meetings with the directors and the writers and whatnot. But when the, when the actor comes into the fitting room, you're really developing so much of the character within that fitting room. So sometimes mm-hmm the importance of that. Um, not everyone understands the importance of that and having the, the time with the actor. Um, so that's, I think that's coming leaps and bounds and people are understanding that more. Uh, but that, that costume design is storytelling and that really so much of Mare was because we were telling the story of these characters and it wasn't just the writing and it wasn't just the costume and it wasn't just the, the production design and the set design. It was mm-hmm. encompassing all of those things. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Um, I love to collaborate. And if we can collaborate together, it just builds stronger character building to tell the story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well said. Uh, and so, so I guess, how did you find your way to being a costume designer? Were you, were you sort of one of those people who was obsessed with fashion since you were, you know, a little kid, or is it something you found later in life? How, how did you, how did you find your way to becoming a costume designer and a filmmaker? I wanted to be either in fashion or a doctor. Like I wanted to be both. Um, so uh, my parents um, were both teachers. I grew up in Michigan mm-hmm. and I had kind of like a normal upbringing, but I never really thought like working in film or TV or anything would be possible. So even when I went into college, like I really didn't ever think that would be possible for me. So I majored in fashion merchandising. Mm. 
I took a trip to New York when I was 16 and there was no going back from there. Like that was it. I was done. <laughs> I was determined to move there. Um, my dad wouldn't let me go to college there. Cause he's like, you will never finish if you go to college in New York. <laughs> so I went to like your stereotypical university experience, which I'm now very grateful for because mm-hmm. I kind of got that out of my system. Mm-hmm. Um, but I interned between my sophomore and my junior year, I interned in New York for uh, a magazine called YM Magazine. And I worked in the fashion department and I was given a lot of response. I worked, like my dad said, if you're going to do this, you're doing it five days a week. You're treating it like a job. So uh-huh. I interned from like nine to six and then from six to like 10 or six to 11, I had the paying job because at that time, internships were not paid. Um, right, right. Summer. So I had a paying job. It was the best summer of my life. I never wanted to leave. Um, long story short, I went back, finished my degree. Three days after I graduated, I moved to New York. And I had built such a great relationship with the people that I worked with at the magazine that they helped me find a job. And from there, I was doing fashion PR, and it really wasn't for me. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I, was doing, I went back to doing styling. And whatnot. And then um, my roommate at the time in New York, he did extras casting. And he oh, said, wow. Oh, like, do you want, do, would you like to be like a costume PA on a TV show? I had the audacity to say, Who's the costume designer? <laughs> like I had any, like, like I had any reason to say, like, even have the balls to say that. And it happened to be Patricia Fields. So I was like, Done, I'll totally do this job. I'll do, I'll like, you know, make, no money, like no problem. So that's how I got my in. And then I worked my way up from being a costume PA. And so just out of curiosity, so was that on a television show? Was that on Hope and Faith or? It was on Hope and Faith. So um, Pat had already done Sex in the City. Right. So I, um, I refer to it as a, I did all the stepchild projects. So I did all the, like the little <laughs> TV shows that Pat did because she always had a movie team and a TV team. And I did the TV, TV shows with her. So I did Hope and Faith and Ugly Betty and six degrees and um cashmere mafia mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. i and then after that i started working with other designers because pat didn't have uh another project so i like moved on and it was it was fantastic because pat had the fashion element and then i learned what like how to dress real people mm-hmm. after that i worked with the mm-hmm. costume designer vicky farrell and she was like you can only shop at like kmart and goodwill and i right didn't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, because that's it's so interesting because because it because obviously uh, Patricia Field has such a heightened high fashion, mm-hmm. uh, you know, identity as a designer, and all those shows are very you know from Ugly Betty, which is sort of this heightened reality. You know, um, it's so interesting to come from that to sort of even look at where you are now with designing shows like Mare. Uh, you know, it's, it's like the polar opposite, I guess. And, and I was just curious, like two things, what was it like, did you have to interview with, with Pat to get that job or did you just sort of start and get thrown into it? And what would you say that you learned from kind of that assistant path, you know, before you became ultimately a designer? I'd, I'd be curious to know. I interviewed with Pat's assistant on that job named Tina Zielinski, who we are still friends to this day. Um, and she was really great because, I didn't really know what I was doing. And she just kind of said, well, you know, come with me and we'll go shopping. And then this is what you do and whatnot. And it was like a really nice, gentle way of Mm -hmm. entering the business versus being on a show that was like a multi-million dollar, crazy big budget feature. Mm. So that was nice. Um, But I worked with Pat for three and a half years. And um, I worked with Tina and then another, a couple other assistants that Pat had on different projects. And then 
I just started assisting because I start. I had made me an assistant designer. I like wow. worked my way up to assistant. Um, and then I started working with, um, I work with Luca Mosca, who's done some John Wick, some of the John Wick series. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started assisting Michael Wilkinson, who mm-hmm. is known for like Justice League and Batman versus Superman. But we did, um, we did uh, uh, American Hustle, Joy, Noah, and I feel like we did something else together. So I worked with him in, in that's, that was an amazing experience because on Noah, we custom built every single piece. And I hadn't done a full made-to-order show yet. So that was my biggest learning curve of my career. And I'm just so grateful for it. How how so? I mean, how I mean, obviously, because it was like you were obviously having to design clothes that you were going to build. You know, what did you bring to that? I mean, you know, versus before where you're kind of trying to find things in the real world or or you know, just sort of lay the differences out for people who don't know. So for um, most contemporary shows, you don't, you buy the clothes Mm -hmm. or you might make a couple specialty pieces um, because you don't really have the means or the funds or the time or whatnot to to do it. But on a show that you're making all of the costumes, um, like period shows, fantasy shows, whatnot, you have to swatch all the fabric, you have to sketch out, you have to design the actual costumes, you have to do... Um, it's a much lengthier process because mm-hmm. of all that goes into it. And then on a show like Noah, where we made 700 extras costumes and all the actors' costumes. Wow. We made all the actors' costumes in-house in New York, but all of the uh, background costumes, 700 costumes, we outsourced that to like three different countries. Wow. So we were doing inter- internationally, we were doing that. So that was, I had never done like international builds before, um, so that was amazing because now I know how to do it. Um, <laughs> but it's, you learn not only about the costume process, but logistics. So how long does it take to get to the country you're making it in? You have to have like in a nice little cookie cutter packet, every single thing that you want done. And it is going to come back in that cookie cutter packet exactly that way. So if you want to change something, you can't change it until it comes back to you. Mm. Um, there's no like, oh, I decided to change something. Let me phone it in. No, because you're working with, you know, usually have to have a person on the ground and you have to like the language barrier, you know, there's different yeah, languages yeah. and whatnot. So um, it, it taught me how to do a big scale job mm-hmm. and it, pre- it prepared me for like my current project and, and Watchmen and whatnot from, from doing that. So that was really mm-hmm. fantastic. And so, like once I assisted Michael, then I started designing. Right, and and just and just to but before we sort of move on to to your designing, you know, on on those sort of what I find interesting is that you know you come out off of sort of episodic TV and you go into very very big budget movies, both both sort of you know very auteur driven, whether it be you know Christopher Nolan on Dark Knight Rises or or uh, uh, you know uh, Darren Aronofsky on Noah. David O. Russell, you know, what do you think you learn from working, you know, sort of around both, obviously from Michael and other other great designers, but also from watching those directors and how they worked and on those films? It's a phenomenal, Michael is very generous and I was always present. I was mm-hmm. almost always present for the meetings and, and whatnot. And it's a good because then you can bounce ideas off of one another. But also I was able to, see like the development process. So you get in and you learn what these directors, like their theories are, what their thought process is. Mm-hmm. And 
the prep process that I had on like a David O. Russell job is like unlike any other. And he brings everyone together in a room and you spitball ideas off of one another and you really build that mm-hmm. world as a, as a department head, as a team. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I'm very grateful to Michael for allowing me to be a part of that. It also, I think as a designer now, it's made me see like a bigger picture than if I was probably not allowed to go into, into that room. Like mm-hmm, I can see, mm-hmm. oh, these are really phenomenal directors who people watch their films. They really enjoy seeing, you know, the, not only the character development, but also the visual development. Mm-hmm. So you learn about the process of that I mean, the most amazing thing you can do is just don't talk in a room and just observe. So right. especially right. especially as people are coming up, that's like, I can only recommend like, just be quiet and listen because right. you, lo- you really right. do learn. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm very fortunate that I was able to do that with such big directors as, as an assistant. So um, that process has really helped me kind of pitch ideas and Mm -hmm. like on mayor, I had like a whole color story. I had a whole thing and everyone thought I was crazy. Um, But then I worked with Keith Cunningham, the production designer and said, okay, I love texture and pattern. You love texture and pattern. How are we going to cohesively bring this world together without it looking like crazy town? So um, those kind of early conversations definitely helped. Right, right, right. Okay. So let's, let's, let's find, let's get to mayor then uh, uh, as far as, so, because I really want to stress to people, because I actually have been a fan of Brad Inglesby for since forever, because I remember reading one of his original scripts that ultimately became that movie, Out of the Furnace, which uh, honestly, it's, it's, yeah, it's a good movie. It's interesting. It wasn't, I feel like it wasn't Brad's script, right? But it's a Scott, becomes a Scott Cooper movie. But then when I started watching Mare, I'm like, oh, this is the Brad Inglesby. It's, it's, you know, it's really his voice and his tone. And, and, and so I guess just talk about getting the script and how much of ultimately inspiration were you able to get off the page? Cause you, you tend now to work with such great material, you know, and how important do you think that is to sort of, sort of start with what's on the page and then, and then talk about, you know, kind of how you did come to develop your mood boards and texture boards. So I loved Out of the Furnace. And so I was very excited um, to read Brad's script. Mm. I was working on, I was just finishing Watchmen when I got the script. And so it was like the polar opposite um, visually. Right. So that was, you know, I always want to do something that's like completely different from the last project that I did just Mm -hmm. to keep it interesting and fresh and new ideas and also to challenge myself. I never want to just be moving in one direction when we could, there's many forks in the road. Sure. So I read the script and I only had the first two. Oh, wow. And I thought, you know, and I knew Kate was attached and I was like, so Kate Winslet is doing this job. There has to be something so amazing that's going to happen in this show that I need to know more about. (laughs) Because I thought, okay, it's just like, you know, someone said to me, you could have made this, like this could have just been your very standard kind of cop detective Mm. drama, Mm -hmm. but you really heightened it and like really got the authenticity. Mm -hmm. And, and when I met with Brad and he said he was from the area, so he's from all of the little area that we shot in and like Aston and Coatesville and Mm -hmm. and he grew up Mm -hmm. there and his wife is from there. And I thought, Oh, I just can't. I mean, I never want to fake anything, but I was like, I have to get this like, so right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I mean, where I'm from in Michigan, my, cousins kind of live in more of like a blue collar area. Mm -hmm. And I thought, let me use 
I used my whole family almost as like the mood board to get the job with Brad. Really? Um, really? Talk yeah. about that. So my aunt Patty is like, Jean, was Jean smart initially? Cause I, I made Jean, um, her character a little bit more feminine, uh-huh. but like with vests and like the collared shirt underneath, but like uh-huh. the, the basic kind of pant. Um, my cousin, Dan, I had as like Dylan in a way and what, wow. but what I remembered of him when he was in college right. versus like who he is now. So I sure, went back sure, and sure, sure. photos of that. And I was asking my parents to send me like text me pictures and email me pictures. So <laughs> it was good. I have a lot of like family reference. Um, and so I use that. And also um, a friend of mine who is a costume designer, Brittany Griffin, she is from Pennsylvania and, and she was like, you have to use Wawa. You have to use like Eagles. You have to use this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm, you know, that's how I got in with, with like presenting to Brad. Right. And then right, once right, I was right. in the famous quote of, Oh, Brad, where should I go to like really see the town? He's like, just go to a Wawa. Just go to a Wawa. <laughs> so I went in Nassau I went in Coatesville. I went to like some restaurants. I went to some bars, but I just like sat in the parking lot, went into the hardware store went kind of around all these places. And once I did that, I was like, I get it. I totally get it. So it was, that's how I kind of got into it. And then added the touches of like, it's very important that like all of the people dress how they do on a daily basis. And mm-hmm, everyone mm-hmm. there wears a logo shirt mm-hmm, in the, mm-hmm. in the area of, mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. Aston and Coatesville. And so wearing Eagles, they're wearing gritty, they're wearing the Philly flyers, they're wearing, um, your local hard, hardware store, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. fire department. So um, I had my shopper go for like a week and just go to every single local place that she could go to and get people to sign a release so we could buy a shirt and put it on the show. Wow. Wow. It's so cool because it's such this blend of obviously you're sort of like going, you know, method costume design research, but also I find it, it's awesome that you had a personal connection to it that, you know, I think that always rings true. It's like, you can't fake that, you know, that's, that's the secret sauce that people go, oh, well, yeah, you know, it was my, now I'm so curious. Now, did you share those same mood boards that were your family, your sort of personal take with Kate Winslet when oh, you guys yeah. started? Okay. So, 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 oh, talk, yeah. <laughs> so talk about, talk about like when you guys finally got to work together, I mean, what was that like working with, I mean, she's astonishing in the movie. Her career is so wonderful and it's, it's such a, you know, there's no vanity in the performance, you know, which everybody talks about, but, but she's also, she, it's, it's that thing that you see with the great actors where it is Kate Winslet, but it's not, you know, yeah. it's like, she's gone for it, it, It's really kind of amazing. Yeah. So Kate's amazing. And I had an initial couple of calls with her and I shared mood words with her and, you know, we had a conversation, I shared it with her and she's like, Oh yeah, this is, this is like going in the right direction. And I said to her, you know, how willing, how far are you willing to go? Like, are you willing, do you want to go partial of the way? Like, what are you thinking? And she said, Oh no, my hair is going to have like roots. I'm going to have like texture to my skin. And when you meet Kate, she has the most luminous skin, <laughs> stunning in person. And oh my gosh, how am I going to like make her look like she doesn't have it together? Like she right. lives in this town. Mm. Um, and she, it's a wig. So as soon as she put the wig on, wow. like we had a first fitting. And then when wow. she, we had the second fitting and she put the wig on, I was like, it's, we, it's great. We like totally have this. Wow. Um, Ivana is her, um, her hair and makeup person. And she's just like, 
amazing. And like really trans, I mean, the hair really tra- transformed Kate. Um, and she put in even like little extra eyebrows oh, um, in there wow, because wow. it has such a, like a beautiful um, brow. And then Kate and I talked about like, I'll totally go there, but I don't want it to, she didn't want it to be that she was like dirty. Sure. Sure. That's the whole point of like, her character's not dirty, but she might've just like picked the sweater or the sweatshirt up off of the bed and did a little smell. I was like, Oh, fine. I'll wear that today. Mm -hmm. And that she hasn't really like bought new clothes and Mm -hmm. she just like lives in, she has the same, you know, 20 pieces and she just lives in them. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause um, it's, it's, it's two things to me. It's no pretense. You know, yeah. it's also, it's also sort of like, but it's also her life is her job, you know? So it's, it's everything has to, to serve that thing. Right. Yeah. It's not, it's not about that. She's, you know, like you said, dirty or, or, or she's unclean. It's just, it's, that's not a priority. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, anyway, yeah, no, it's it also, it was also making sure that it was very functional. Like mm, I mm. never wanted her to have a handbag. So her pocket were her handbag, her car was her like, right, right, right her like backpack type of thing. Like, so the idea was that her wallet, her vape, her keys were in her deep, deep pockets and the pockets of that jacket and like kind of signified what she's hiding, what she has, what she's, mm-hmm. what, what's making her function. But like the jacket was kind of like her armor. So she always had that protective layer off. And I really, I didn't, not that I fought with Kate about it, but I really was like, I want to make sure that there is one jacket like mm-hmm. one, like most people only have like one or two jackets. Yeah. So I only want there to be this one jacket and I want her always to wear this one jacket. And it's like her armor, her suitcase, her handbag. Like mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been surprised if she pulled a hoagie out of it, like halfway through the day. So, um, and Kate, and Kate agreed and we only changed it after, um, sorry, spoiler, like she was shot and then we changed yeah. it a different. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, that's one. I also, it's also such a pet peeve of mine when, when, you know, I remember hearing, I think it was like Colleen Atwood or someone saying, you know, people don't really change outfits all the time as much as you might think they do in certain movies. And so I think it's like, it, it, it lends such a, such a thing, such a, uh, such a reality. It grounds you, you know, in that. And I also think it's interesting how you were able to, cause I think I've heard you talk about this, how, you know, it's such a muted palette. And how you how you were still able to 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 carve the characters out visually, and so I guess talk about working with the production designer and and the and the um, cinematographer a little bit in terms of because it feels like you guys almost did a texture palette as opposed to a color palette. I mean, it's sort of both. So anyway, talk about that. Yeah, I mean, Ben Richardson was probably sick of me saying, "Well, how are you going to like this? And how are you going to shoot this? And what? How much? You know, what are you thinking for this scene? Or what are you thinking for that scene?" And um, I'm really very well aware of Mm -hmm. like lighting and setting and how much, you know, if we're shooting a night shoot and if we're shooting a day scene, like how much is because, especially from Fahrenheit in Fahrenheit 451, I made the jackets really slick with um, like wax and oil Mm -hmm, so that mm -hmm. the light would reflect and bounce off of the jacket Mm -hmm. because I wanted to put some light on their face because we didn't have a light, a lot of light. Mm -hmm. So I made it in the jacket so the light would bounce off. So on this, it was like, nothing can have a gloss. It needs to be almost like sawdust and like, you know, breadcrumbs. It has to look really muted and matte, but then we have to have some sort of interest because if everyone just looks dead, like what's the interest? Um, Like really, you know, really toned down. So um, 
Keith Cunningham, the production designer, and I both love a lot of print and texture mm -hmm. um, in, in the costumes and in the production design. So he had a ton of wallpaper and a ton of textures in the, in the, um, in the furniture and whatnot. So I always made sure, made sure like if we were establishing something new on the day, like, okay, let me have a backup just in case like we get there and he changed the couch or whatnot. But I worked with a set decorator, Edward McLaughlin. Um, we did Watchmen together. So we very much have a good rapport. And so we would talk about the costume and the furniture prior to even getting into the set, which most of the times you, you don't do that. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. we, we worked really closely together, the three of us and then and with my team. And then also with, um, I had uh, Adria Dyer, full-time Adria Dyer, Troy, David, who would, I'd always go, go a little more, go a little less. We need to lighten it up. So we really, it was an all team effort. Yeah, well, it shows. It's because it's 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 a seamless world. You know what I mean? It's like because I think I think people often take for completely for granted something that's done in a modern contemporary setting, and and I think it's harder. You know, because it's like if you're doing say you know now. It, it, you know, the, the 2020 or whatever, it's, you're actually talking about 20, you know, I'm, I had the production designer of uh, Zodiac on here, Donald uh, Burt Graham. And he said, you know, when you're designing for the eighties, you're actually pulling from the seventies, the late seventies. So it's like, it, it's a testament to your, to your attention to detail, how seamless the world is. And, and I wanted to ask another question about, um, with Kate, was there one article, you know, that you guys, was it the wig, the key that when you guys sort of put it all together in the fitting, was there one or one article of clothing when she put it on, you guys were like, okay, this is, this is it. She's starting to become the character. It was the jeans. <laughs> um, the jeans were like a boot cut jean and she wore like kind of like a hiker boot <laughs> and Kate would never wear anything like those in her real life. <laughs> so when she put them on, she's like, Oh my gosh, these are so mare. Like this is so, it really was like the transformation. And then we started building things around the jeans wow. and you know, Kate said like, Oh, I was thinking about gaining weight for the, for the role. And I said, you don't really need to because we'll just make sure to, instead of putting like the hem of the t-shirt at the flattering, like you always hem it a certain way, mm -hmm. we'll put it at the least flattering part of the body so that it looks like you're actually heavier than what you are. Wow. So once we started doing little tweaks like that and really paying attention to that, um, in doing t-shirts that were baggier, hugged the breasts in a certain way, but baggier down below that it just made you look a little fuller. Like the little tricks that like most people don't think of on a day-to-day -day basis. It was like, how can we make it not the most flattering? Mm -hmm. So it will be more Kate and it will, and then we'll transition it more to Mare. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, and, uh, one, okay. So then, so is it true with, uh, that Jean Smart asked you to give her a butt? Yeah. <laughs> it's, so tell, tell us about that story. I think it's a great story. So I'd work with Jean on Watchmen and she's like this long legged glamazon. I mean, if you see her in hats, it's yes. like transformation between the two is just, I mean, I, I actually screamed when I saw her in hats. Like, I was like, oh my God, Jean, you did it. This is amazing. Like, she's so different in that from Helen. Mm. So um, what we did, she came in and we had these clothes and they're like mostly thrifted, all washed down and worn. And I wanted her to be like 
a cozy woman at home, but still kind of like put together and not completely like falling apart. Mare needs to be the person falling apart, Mm -hmm. like emotionally and Mm -hmm. showing a little bit in her clothing. And Helen needs to be like, maybe she just went and bought this top at TJ Maxx, but it looks really cute with her like at home sweatpants. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But Jean is like, she has these beautiful long legs and I was like, oh, something's like missing. And she's like, I know something's missing. I just can't think. And then she's like, give me a butt. <laughs> and I mean, no actor tells you to give them weight. So I was like, well, we can't give you a butt unless like we kind of even it out. So we gave her hip. So we made her pear shaped and it just worked. It just, the way that like those like little vests would then hit around the hip Mm-hmm. Not that she was an overweight woman, but just give a little bit to mm-hmm. show that she like, you know, enjoyed this. She enjoyed the spray cheese and the martinis. <laughs> so and the and the ice cream out of the vegetable bag. I mean, it actually worked out really, really well. And Jean was very happy to have that butt. It's, I mean, and it's also, I mean, you know, all jokes aside, it's like, it's so about it affects their behavior and their performance and their character, you know, because it's like, it's like people talk about actors talk about stepping on a wonderful set or putting on clothing, and they don't have to do much more, you know, I mean, obviously, that's a little bit facetious, but but it's so true, especially in this where, you know, like you said, Jean Smart is so not that woman. You know, it's yeah. like she, nor is Kate Winslet, but yet these little details that just transform them so that they're almost unrecognizable. Um, and what, and in terms of working with Julianne Nicholson, who, which is so terrific in the show and is such a wonderful actress. And, you know, spoiler alert, she's kind of at the center of, of this big secret. But how did you, did you approach sort of what she ultimately, what you find out about her when you were, when you were designing her costumes and, and character, was there an arc for you or not really? Or I, the hard part for me was that I was like, Brad, who is this woman? Like, who is she before uh, we get to see her in mare? Oh. Because in once, like an early version of the script, she was a teacher and then some of those things got readjusted and whatnot. And she was a coach and she was this, And she was always kind of that. And he's like, well, she's a mom and she's a teacher. And because we never really know besides Mare what everyone really does, like what their profession, like what their career job is. That was, I always like to have a backstory. So who are they? Like, obviously she likes Dave Matthews band. She's Mm -hmm, had this mm -hmm. t-shirt since like 1996, 98 type of time. Um, but other than that, besides have being married and have kids, like who is she? So I did a little journey with Brad and we kind of had a backstory and and Julianne and I, like all, we spoke about it and my mom is a teacher. She's a retired teacher. And what I remember, she would come home and she would come home at, you know, I would get home first. She would come home from school and she would instantly change her clothes. And not that she put on like a comfy outfit, mm-hmm. but she put on something that was more comfortable, but then she could like, cook dinner, clean, do the things. Mm -hmm. So I never wanted Julianne to be presented in something that was not comfortable. Hmm. Um, And my, my cousin is special needs and has Down syndrome. And so does the daughter in the show. And so Mm -hmm. I always remember my aunt. I do remember my aunt. She always wore like a slack or a legging, but she always had a sweater on (laughs) or she always had like 
the the nice like an okay t-shirt with like a cardigan on and like little flats because she was always like running around and doing things so it was important that julianne looked comfortable mm-hmm. but also like everybody in the show had to be functional mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you might wear that sweatshirt to school and to the pta meeting and then you're to the baseball game and then you're going to come home and rake the leaves so mm-hmm. it's it's all about function in that sense so um obviously when like the really depressing stuff hit, like let's make the costume the most depressing thing that you can even look at. And it's just going to make Julianne cry instantly. It's just going to be depressing. (laughs) Um, She was super game and she liked all of these sweaters that were like thrifted sweaters and she was really into it. And um, the one thing that she asked for that I thought was just brilliant. She's like, I think I should wear, I think the character should wear a sports bra. I mean, sports bras are super unflattering. Wow. And I was like, this is genius. Like, Julianne, thank you so much. And she, I got her some really, I mean, it was like a hit. It's not a designer sports bra. It is a gross sports bra. And she wore it and it just like made her feel this character. Wow. That's such a specific detail. But like, again, one of those things that's so that nobody sees, but you can feel it. I don't know. I mean, there's just... Like what you're, are you talking about all these subtle details that you're building with the actor that really translates into these amazingly uh, layered performances. That is so cool. Uh, uh, okay, well let's uh, let. Okay, uh, and I wanted to move on to the the sort of the men of Maritown because it's a it's a whole different thing, you know. From from I believe it's David Denham, you know, Mara's ex husband, you know, to mm-hmm. sort of to sort of, to Guy Pierce, you know, and, and obviously Evan Peters, you know, how did you sort of, you know, how did you approach each of those characters? Cause they're very different in terms of, in, in contrast, you know, to the women to a certain degree. The men were the hardest for me huh. because again, they didn't have such a super strong backstory of what their careers were. David was supposed to be, his character was supposed to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, Guy Pierce, obviously we know about him. He was like a teacher, but also like writing wrote a book um and then the other guys were all like brad they're guys they're just like they're guys that are there <laughs> and they might oh one might be construction one might do this like kind of had to like make up a little bit like okay um i was like joe Tippett's character i was like okay he might own the construction company or have owned the construction company right. and maybe he employs his brother and then like kenny is like uh, Brad, Brad was like, oh, maybe he's like doing masonry or like, uh-huh. I was like, okay, some sort of construction type of situation. Right. And then I had to define each one in the, in a world that kind of everybody can look very, very similar. Mm-hmm. So that was, I would say like the Kenny and the John and like that, that was like in Billy, that was kind of the challenge of making them look different. Um, which you did, which you did, because I mean, it's it's almost like like Joe is is very sort of he's the polished version of it, and then the younger brother is the shabbier ver. You know, it, it very much reads. You know what I mean? It's yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I just wanted to make sure that they all had something that kind of showed defined a characteristic about them, mm-hmm. and also the same thing of like always wearing the same jacket. Um, there was something that was put into the script a little bit later on. So there with Kenny, I wanted to use this like really beat up, like 
falling apart type of jacket with like these pants that were kind of falling apart when he was in the Jeep and following Dylan. And then there was like a little stunt involved and I needed like a lot of multiples. And I was like, no, my hopes and dreams of this jacket are gone. Um, so we had to supplement on that because I needed the multiples. But right. yeah, I have it all. And talk about working with Guy Pierce because, you know, he's somebody who is such a traditionally kind of leading man, handsome. I w- what I love about it is that he also worked with Mare in, in uh, uh, I want to say it's Mildred Pierce or, 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 yeah, right. And I love that they, are, they sort of have this new, this different echoed version of their romance in this. But, you know, he's such a handsome kind of strapping dude. And and you, you I feel like you had to sort of, you know, tone that down with his. Yeah. So, so I guess just talk about working with him because he's such a great actor. He's super lovely and gentle and listen, you know, like he listened about like, let's develop this character. And um, I mean, for me, I just wanted him to be, he couldn't look like hot. Mm, mm. You can't look, you can't look super hot. You can't look super charming. There has to be a mystery about you. Like, Mm -hmm. are you cool? Like, no, you can't be too cool because you're like, not that there's anything wrong with, Kate Winslet, but Mare's not the most desirable woman at all times. Like she has a little fire in her, but <laughs> so you can't like, you can't then be like, Oh, this is Kate Winslet and Guy Pierce and they're right. getting together. Like this still had to be Mare. Um, it still had to be, it still had to be the character. So yeah. I just had to make him a little softer. Mm-hmm. So like with these nubby sweaters and like these, a lot of his clothes were like secondhand. I mean, most people in the show, their clothes were like thrifted mm-hmm. and secondhand and stuff like that. But um, I just had to make it so he wasn't overly Guy Pierce sexy. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like even his blazers were sort of like shapeless. You know what I mean? Yeah, like they everything had to be a little like soft and shapeless. And his his brown jacket that he wears at the university was like some cashmere jacket that had been at a thrift store but someone had washed it so it kind of seized up a little bit in a wow. way and I was like this is perfect this is like <laughs> so perfect like he washed it um and Keith always would say like oh it just has to be like slightly wrong and so hmm. it just had to be like a little bit off Mm-hmm. A washed cashmere jacket, just atrocious, but it was like phenomenal. Wow, that is an amazing detail. That's I feel like that's the most the one most wonderful accident ever that happened to you guys from like the costume design gods. <laughs> that, that, yeah. uh, and then and the last thing I ask you about Mayor with Evan, I, I hear he he apparently in the beginning wanted it to be sort of like he wanted it to be like a Chinatown detective, <laughs> like a like Jake Giddis. I mean, like down for it because I'm I was really. I was like, yeah, like I just came off of Watchmen. I was like, oh my God, we're going to make this a total character. Like, this is going to be great, but we'll tone it down. And when he asked for a hat, I was like, no. So we're not going to be doing that. But you did a whole, it actually like was kind of a cool, interesting perspective on this character and kind of a cool look Mm. and showed it to Brad and Brad is so nice like the nicest guy and he never wants to say like no to something and he's like oh Megan I just yeah I think you have to like kind of look at a few guys around here and I thought like Evan and I just looked at one another we're like yep we're gonna be redoing this and when we did the simplicity of that like navy suit and that gray suit 
I was like, gosh, this is just so boring, but it's so real mm. because mm. it's just like one step up from like the Macy's or the men's warehouse. Sure. And it's not like an overly expensive suit. We made the hemp, like we could have tailored the business out of it and made sure. it like super, super tailored. But Evan and I were like pinching at it. And he's like, red carpet, real life, red carpet, real yes. life. Because just like with Kate, if you alter it to make it look like polished and perfect it's so wrong for this area mm -hmm. there has mm -hmm. to be something so like the sleeve was normal guy like normal sleeve length and a hem versus like making it like red carpet sure um and so once he just had the blue suit on all the time it was it just kind of worked yeah it's perfect i mean it's and his his character is so unexpected too in in so many different oh, yeah. ways you know what i mean he's he's like he i mean that scene where he's drunk and he's telling mara's backstory is one of those scenes that just sticks with you yeah. uh forever uh that was when you go oh my god this guy uh that's okay um so i wanted to back up a little bit and talk about watchmen um you know because it's such like a, an amazing achievement as both just from television but also as a as a costume designer uh, I guess talk about how you, you know, got that job and, you know, how you approached, you know, a show that has such a distinct color palette, you know, both from the comic, which is iconic for the way it uses color. So I guess just talk about how you ultimately approached, you know, that, you know, designing the world of Watchmen. So I was on a pilot and, um, well, yeah, I was on a pilot and um, they had phoned and said, Hey, like we want to, we, you want to interview for this, for this position. And we hadn't even started filming the pilot. So I was like, Oh, I just don't think the schedule is going to work out. I mean, it was only a pilot. So I was like, Oh, I just don't think the schedule is going to work out. Like I can't leave a pilot. <laughs> and my agent's like, okay, no problem. <laughs> And then they called back again and I called her and I was like, am I making a mistake by not like interviewing for this? Because they needed someone to start. It would, the overlap was like, they wanted me to like almost like leave the pilot and come right away. Right, 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 right. And I thought, am I making a mistake? Is this like a big deal? And she's like, I think you should interview. And I interviewed um, for the job and I was like, oh, mind you, they didn't give me a script. They oh. didn't give me a summary, a plot line, nothing. They're like, I'm like, well, what am I interviewing with? Like, what am I, I always come in with a presentation. Sure. I was like, what, what am I doing? <laughs> so I was like, am I going off of the movie? Am I going off? Like, what am I doing? So I went and I got the comic, I got the um, graphic novel and yeah. I'm like, I, if anyone has ever read that, it is so complex. Yes. It's like, so strange. Even to, this, it, yeah. even to this day, I'm like, and I worked on the show. So I'm like going through as fast as possible. And I interviewed and I put together like a little lookbook. It was like barely anything. I was like super embarrassed, but I was also in the middle of like prepping this pilot and whatnot. And afterwards I was like, this is the worst interview I've ever had. Like I'm never getting this job. I'm so embarrassed. And they called my agent like an hour later and they offered me the job. And I was like, how is this possible? I'm like, because I usually do like, pretty big presentations. Um, so what, what, so I have, so curious, so what was that 
that pre- I mean, what did you sort of like, how did you just sort of lock into, okay, I mean, I'm sure you had to go in there with sort of, this is my going to be my thing. What, what was your take, I guess, in, in the, in the briefest sense of it? So I, um, I was interviewing for the series. So Sharon Davis did the pilot. So I was interviewing for the series and I looked up on like, you know, on deadline on Hollywood reporter, on like IMDb, like, what is this? Who are the characters? Mm-hmm. What's happening? And it said that, um, it did say like a couple of characters. It had Regina on IMDb and it had mm-hmm. like a few things, but it didn't say like anything. Um, but there was, it said that she was like, there was an Asian character and there was, it just said like little blurbs, but nothing. Mm-hmm. So I went into the graphic novel and I started pulling a lot of like sci-fi images of different like masks and hoods, fully not knowing like what was going on. Wow. And, and there was, I mean, I solely got the job, Damon told me, because there was one image that I had that looked almost identical to the Sister Night costume, the hood of the Sister Night costume, wow. without me knowing, like, what it was. So um, wow. I, w- I, was, I was very lucky. Um, and then I got in there and started, like, reading the scripts and developing and... Um, it was a whole new team from the people who did the pilot. Mm-hmm. Um, Nicole Castle shot the um, pilot and she was back and she was returning as executive producer and directing. Um, but other than that, it was all like new department heads pretty much. So we, it was like an amazing world building in a mm-hmm. sense. And um, Nikki is really, she's one of those people that like takes the time and like listens to everyone. And I have to say about my whole Watchmen experience is like, everyone came into the room and we might not have known what was going on at the time because not everybody had like, we didn't, we only got script to script. We didn't get like normal TV. Like we didn't get them in advance. Wow. So um, we, but everyone came into the room and talked about it. And there was like a full development in key. Everyone like listened to one another Hmm. and everyone like let ideas flow. And Damon, like, he would listen to pitched ideas and whatnot. So it was a really amazing and beautiful experience for like the people we were with. And um, I mean, I credit so much to Damon and Nikki and to HBO for like letting us have that, you know, that process. Um, So that was really great. And it was, um, it, it, it flowed. It wasn't like each each episode was like its own movie, but there was a lot that went into each episode, like episode, Six was like its own movie. That was like its own full blown. Um, refresh, refresh my memory. Was that the one that goes that goes? It's black and white, or no? Or uh, yes, yeah. That that is an incredible, incredible episode. Um, and I guess so what was I mean? Because there's so much to talk about with that. I mean, because you designed obviously. You're, there's so many wonderful actors in the show. Obviously, Regina King, Gene uh, Smart again, Hong Chow, who I think is amazing. You know. Lady True, and that costume is crazy. You know, all of her outfits are so crazy. You know, what, um, I guess two things, you know, sort of what was your general, because it feels to me like particularly in a Watchmen universe or sort of a, you know, in quotes, comic book sort of universe, it's the silhouettes of the costumes are very important, you know, like, like for them to stick. And so I guess, well, how did you approach you know, designing, and I guess what was probably your favorite costume to, to design and bring to life? The silhouettes were very important because if you look at the graphic novel, 
you know, characters are two dimensional. Mm. So they mostly are their silhouette for so much of it. Like there's some beautiful artistry and sh- shading and, you know, illustrations that go into it, but they're their silhouette. And that's across the board for like all comics. Mm. So as I'm flipping through the, co- the graphic novel, I'm like, okay, if we take a silhouette from, from this character, or from these characters in here, how can we bring it to life now? Because what I always say in these superhero worlds, just because someone draws it, yeah, doesn't yeah. It will actually function like that once you put it on a human body, right? Because right. this is a piece of paper or a computer that it's generated on, and it doesn't actually like you can't. You need to have full range of motion to do mm-hmm. this or like action sequences and whatnot. So, how can we how can we keep the silhouette, bring interest, but not? overpower the rest of the scene like Mm -hmm. overpower the very important dialogue that's happening overpower certain things so it was definitely like picking and choosing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um i didn't have the full story of lady true when she when i designed the first costume um i mean i really love all of her costumes i Mm -hmm. feel like i feel like damon gave me that one and let me go a little crazy um so that was really nice so thank you damon um and nikki but that first costume like i didn't know like what was then going to happen mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at all so um it, it ended up working but i loved when she sat down in the farmhouse and it just like framed her framed her and framed her face like mm-hmm. i knew in the scene that she was going to sit down mm-hmm. but i wanted that long like piece to be her coat mm-hmm. so I didn't want her to take it off. She was there for business. It was not messing around. She's like putting it down, going through the dialogue, saying the words. So I wanted it to frame her and she, and Hong is like very petite. Mm. So I wanted it to be like almost her sphere of power and her sphere of like, this is who I am. I'm, you don't know who I am, but this is who I am. And this is the world that I live in. And it's a complete mystery to you. So I think it, did okay. I think it did its justice, yeah. but oh, it's beautiful. It's an um, amazing costume. Yeah. I love, all, I love all of her costumes and they all have like their each individual story to them. <laughs> because well, and they also, not easy. <laughs> yeah. They, I mean, they also feel they, everything feels, you know, like you said, uh, uh, you know, realistic, uh, you know, particularly like some of Regina's leather, you know, uh, jackets that she wears that are so awesome. And then one little detail, uh, you know, was like Tim Blake Nelson's, you know, uh, uh, his mask, you know, his Rorschach mask, which I thought was such a cool differentiation from the, the normal way you see you see him is in the comic. You know, it's like almost like he never takes it off, and the way you kind of had it, like almost like a do rag, you know, like a, like a functional thing that he rolls up on his forehead was so interesting. You know, just all those details uh, uh, were were fantastic, and I, I guess I want to ask you kind of another another question. Just because I, I find it, it must have been difficult. It's like, and I'm not sure how much of this you were involved in. It was a big team. The, the, cause there were, you know, like clan costumes and some of the, some of the, you know, some of basically the racist paraphernalia that sort of speaks to the, to the history of, of this version, you know, of, of both modern, you know, real America and the Watchmen America. And so, you know, was that something that you, that you found complicated and painful to approach? I mean, in terms of like, you have to get it right, but yet it's something where you, you don't love living in that world, you know, when you have to do that. Yeah, it's very, it's very difficult. Um, when, 
the clan stuff was just like on the dress form and you didn't actually have to have anyone in it. It didn't hit you as much as then you have to dress people in it. Um, I, I would, I did a movie in West Virginia a long time ago. And I remember going into an antique store and I was really excited because there was like some amazing pieces. And I went into like, it's those antique stores that have the little booths. Mm-hmm. So you go into the little booth and like half of the booth was pictures of like actual KKK rallies. And I never will ever forget that feeling because I was just, I mean, I live in New York and I live in a very diverse world and have a lot of friends from many different cultures. And I just never experienced the feeling that I, I mean, that feeling I had when I like saw that was just so shocking. So Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people on set had, had some of those feelings Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it wasn't as hard to put on the dress form, but when we put it on the people, but the part that was like, we were all in tears and devastating is when Giovanna Depo had to put the, the noose was on the little boy. And so my customer was like, in he's like a big burly guy and he is just like in tears and hyperventilating because it's like my customer is caucasian but that was such a moment Mm -hmm. that like we all like i wasn't prepared for it he wasn't prepared for it Mm -hmm. um and the and the safe thing was is in that in that moment like and also with doing episode six that we had a lot of like a lot on the race um Mm -hmm. riots and whatnot like because the people that worked on that job have the utmost respect for one another. We cried together. We held each other's hands. We were there for one another. We had like a diverse group of, you know, we had a lot of African-Americans in our, in our team and stuff. So it was important that we stood by and like really say, we, we will never fully understand, but we are here to help and support and we want to understand, you know? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. um, it was a really, I mean, I can't say enough nice things, but it was definitely hard, but like something that I will always like cherish is that I did the show and really appreciated the people and Mm -hmm. did this with people that like I have the utmost respect for. Mm -hmm. Well said. And I mean, I think people who haven't seen the show should realize that, you know, Watchmen on a, on a scope and scale with a huge audience probably is one of the first shows to really bring to light, you know, the, the, the Tulsa, you know, race massacres and, and things that before had sort of been deleted and erased from history yeah. in a way that, that, you know, HBO, you know, and, and Damon, and I know, and I think he brought in Tenehisi uh, Coates uh, as a writer and consultant, you know, to really, to, to use sort of the, the power of, of the show and storytelling and HBO to shine a light on it. So, you know, it's congratulations to you for being a part of that as well. I think it's, it's really an astonishing accomplishment, not just as a, as a TV show, but I think as a, as, you know, yeah. uh, yeah, a contribution. Um, uh, okay, so but so um, I guess in because I don't want to take up any more of your time. Uh, you've you've given to me so much already. I guess for anybody who uh, is trying to do what you do, or to young filmmakers or costume designers uh, or old costume designers, what advice would you would you have uh, for them? I mean, when I was coming up, I just said yes to everything. And I know that that's not always like possible. And I worked multiple jobs and interned and, you know, did as much as possible. I would say um, do as much research. I I mean, I have people contact me through like Instagram all the time and ask me questions. And mm-hmm. um, I definitely try to get back to everyone as much as possible. And 
I've been really good until like the last two weeks because I'm trying to finish. So I apologize. Apologize. Um, there's a couple of people I still have to get back to, but just do your research. And if you are really interested in costume design or hair and makeup or whatnot, like if you live in a city that has um, film work, there is a film commission. So a lot of times they will post if there's like jobs or, or, or whatnot and, I was a, I was like a PR manager and I was, and I knew it wasn't for me. So I went and had a really good salary and I went down and like worked my way back up. So don't be afraid to do that, to make yourself happy and fulfilled. So um, easier said than done. And sometimes in financial times and stuff, but if you're able to try to make yourself happy in your career, you'll just instantly just excel. Well said. Well, thank you, Megan. Thank you for doing this. Thank you. Thank you so much. 